If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes, indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. Today's guest is Dara Thomason. I'm your host, Susan Smith, and I'm coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. If you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing pencil, needle and thread attached, and at high speed. And if you are a machine quilter, I invite you to tune in to the live and unscripted events hosted on my YouTube channel and Facebook page on the first and third Friday of every month. They're streamed live and in real time, honestly. Even the thread breaks and the oopses are all there. I just welcome you into my studio to watch as I work through a project and chat about the processes and decisions as I go. Plus, they're interactive, meaning you can ask questions and get answers about the project while I'm working on it. So once again, those air the first and third Friday of each month. Just look for Stitched by Susan on YouTube or Facebook to find the upcoming events. I'll let you in on a little secret. I don't like shopping. Particularly, I don't like shopping for clothes. To me, it feels incredibly time-consuming, and there's a million other things I'd rather be doing. So I've found a solution at stitchfix.com. It's an online apparel shopping service, and it's entirely personalized. So I set up my account with delivery frequency, a price point that's comfortable for me, my size and taste, and I even have the option of adding jewelry, bags, shoes, or other accessories. I've had the same designer for a couple of years, and she's got me dialed in. If you'd like to give Stitch Fix a try, they're offering $25 off your first order. Just use the link provided in the show notes and have fun shopping their enormous collection. All right, on to pins and needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Photographing quilts is often a real challenge. Whether you're photographing the quilt that you've pieced and you're trying to get the colors to be true, or whether you're photographing the actual quilting, as I'm often doing, and you're trying to get the stitching to show up well. Either way, the best results are found with really great lighting. So try using morning light because that seems to be the brightest and clearest and show the best colors. And also, if you're using your smartphone, which many of us do, Try increasing the exposure. It is usually just as simple as tapping the screen of your phone when you're in your camera mode and a slider will come up where you can raise that exposure. And while you're looking at the quilt out of one eye and the camera lens out of the other, you can raise that exposure until it looks as natural and true to life as possible. That's an easy way to amp up your photographs. 
Dara Thomason has been creating all her life. In fact, her mother used to say she could always be found by the trail of crafty bits and scraps in her wake. Both her grandmothers were pioneers in central Alberta, Canada, and their influence clearly impacts Dara to this day. The foundational beliefs of using what you have and creating and recognizing beauty no matter what your life circumstances are came from these women. In this episode, Dara shares lots of wisdom about our thought life and the power it has to shape every area of our life and goals. Let's welcome her now. Dara, welcome to the podcast. I'm so pleased to have you here. It is a delight to be here. I am so looking forward to hearing your thoughts on um, quilting, and you're also a life coach with a kind of specialization. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how those things connect. So maybe um, as, a, as an entryway into that, tell us about how you uh, became a crafter, how you became a quilter to begin with. For sure. So um, I always get emotional when I tell the story because it's so it's such a connection to me. So my, mm-hmm. um, my grandma, uh, both my grandmas, actually their parents both came to Alberta, Canada as pioneers. Like they broke the sod like they did all the things. And um, I don't know why I always get so emotional. But anyways, so my grandmas would have, you know, they ever since they were little girls, like they would have like the scraps from the flower sacks and they would, they had this, this sense of thrift and making something like they literally had nothing. And they made these beautiful things. Yes, everything. Yeah, like my grandma, she, um, for Christmas, she got a doll. And then for the next four Christmases, she got one outfit per like per year for her doll. My goodness. And I just think like, it's amazing. And like her mother, you know, she had four sons and one daughter and I have four sons and one daughter. And, um, you know, I can just imagine her mom late at night, like stitching these, this little outfit for her doll. My grandma just savored it. And so, um, in fact, when, so I've always been interested in like crafting and creating. My mom said that I was she could always tell what I was because there was a trail of paper or fabric or something behind me. A little like a trail of breadcrumbs. (laughs) Yes, totally. Ever since I was a little girl, I just, I just loved creating things and and make belief in things. But um, when I went to, when I was 19, I went to uh, France and I worked for a family in the South of France and um, for three months and it was a life changing experience for me. And um, when I came home, the only thing I really wanted to do before going back to university was to make a quilt. And I just, it was before the internet. This is like in 1992. And my mom said, I don't know how to make quilts because it skipped her generation. Um, But she found a friend that helped me and I made this quilt that's still alive and barely it's hanging on. Did it go to university with you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And when, um, so I... So I just started and I, I made my own clothes. I'm, t- I'm six feet tall. So finding dresses that were long enough, all of that, it was always kind of challenging. So I made my own clothes. So quilting, though, that was very interesting. Leaving, leaving Canada and going to Europe for three months, like that connection. And so like being connected to my, my grandmas mm-hmm. and just having that experience was just so like did you did that. you go to where they were from? Like, were you visiting family, you know, where history was made? No? Okay. No, no. It was just, I think it was just coming back, like 
um, and I, cause Europe is so tight. Everything mm -hmm. is, is so, um, like everything is smaller and tighter and people are so crowded. And I remember like flying back into, I lived in Calgary at the time and seeing like the vast, um, spaces. And I thought of my like grandmas and my great grandmas, like them, like literally tilling the ground and making something beautiful out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think that that has been so transformational for me and connect to them. So my one grandma died when I was seven and she was a master, uh, she was a master seamstress. And my other grandma, she still was doing like stitching in groups with, with women and doing charity projects and all of that. And so I always admired her, even though she had arthritis and things, she was always um, making things with her hands to show love to people. And that was mm -hmm. something I felt I wanted to continue on with. I love that. So you, you first, that quilt that you pieced for university, you know, I imagine was made mm -hmm. on your home sewing machine. Did you grasp kind of all the parts of quilting at that point? Or just was it the piecing that appealed to you? Or how did you, in fact, quilt that first one? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's a little rough, but I actually hand stitched it with, and it was so fun because I had uh, my brothers and my sister. I have three brothers and two sisters, and we had this big quilting frame in the middle of our living room. And I was like, okay, you have to sit and you have to stitch. And that stitching is no longer there. Like it's, <laughs> luckily we use polyester batting and that stuff is like tough. But um, we hand stitched the whole thing and it was, it was hilarious. That's awesome. That's how my mother quilted too. And I have a ton of childhood memories of, you know, playing fort under the living yes. room quilting. Frame. Totally. They were so fun. Totally. Yeah, and the same thing with me, like going to the church and like just uh, my mom would go and be diligent and help and uh, I would just play underneath there and th such good memories. Yes, yes. Okay, so then you went into teaching though, right? Quilting was not your, mm -hmm. next, your next venture, but rather teaching. Yeah, so I was an elementary school teacher for almost 10 years and throughout that I would have knitting club and we would do stitching and things like that. Um, actually, for my first year of teaching, we had to do a, a, a project, and my project actually was a giant quilt, and it was all different colors of 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 skin. So, like shades of dark, uh, you know, brown, shades of yellow, shades of pink, and um, so that quilt hung in my classroom, and it was huge. And I had all the different words that described the things that the qualities that I admire as being a teacher. And my students saw this this quilt all the time, and they they were it was really sweet. And my principal was very proud of it. She showed all the nice. teachers and any visitor that came to the school. She showed them my quilt that hung proudly from the from the walls in my classroom. So did you did quilting kind of then carry alongside your teaching career, or when did? Because now you're a long arm quilter, right? Or or yeah, have been? Yeah. Tell me how that how that fell into place for sure. You know, evolution is just such an amazing thing. It's been happening for like centuries. And so my life has really evolved. So I was, so again, I was a school teacher and then I got married and I had, um, so actually when I was pregnant for, with my third child, I was teaching and I said to my husband, you know what, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to like stay home with the kids. And so, um, I did that. And then after I had my fifth child, I just said, I need time to have for my own creative self. And I didn't 
I didn't feel like going back in the classroom was going to work for me because I really did want to raise my kids and I didn't want to have to shuffle all of all of that childcare. So I approached a local quilt shop and I um, said, hey, I'd love to be a quilt instructor. I think I would do a great job. And she took me up on it and I designed two quilts and I quilted them, uh, pre-motion quilted them and from my just my uh, sit down machine. And what was so fun was my students in my class, they saw how I quilted them very pretty. And they said, we want our quilts quilted the same way as you did it for the class sample. I said, no problem. So here I am now quilting for people at my kitchen table. <laughs> not sure how to charge them. Not sure like what I'm doing, but I'm like, well, I'm just going to do it. And so after I quilted several of their quilts, they started bringing me other quilts. And I thought, well, I guess I have a valid business here that worked around my schedule as a mom of five kids. Um, there was times where I'd say to my husband, okay, it's time for you to take the kids to the park. It's time for you to go on an adventure with them. Let me have some time. And um, I remember at one point I was going to go teach a class and my husband was a little bit concerned and my mom, she came to help watch the kids and, and she said, it's not about the money. It's about letting Dara have her creative a space and connection with these ladies. That's wisdom. And it was so, it was such wisdom. And, and also for my husband to see, you know what, when Dara gets to do these things, everyone is happier because it gives me that outlet. Cause otherwise I was really feeling like the edible woman, like everyone was taking. And that's what happens to us. If we don't have appropriate guidelines or boundaries, boundaries, we do become the edible woman. They just eat and eat and take and take because we set up what we would, what we'll give and what we don't, because they only experience what we let them experience. Mm -hmm. And so um, I love that I was the example to my kids about, you know, that it's okay to have your own creative time. And so how that, then what happened after I was teaching quite a bit and I was starting to build up quite a reputation for my quilting, um, we ended up selling the house that we were living in and we bought another house for, without a mortgage and then I got a long arm and my husband got a drift boat. So that, that was a seems nice... like a nice trade-off. I know, right? <laughs> so that's when I started quilting like um, more and more. And it was just so much easier to quilt a quilt and a long arm than have to spray base. And... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, kudos to you. How many quilts do you think you did on your domestic machine-ish? Oh, probably, probably 50. Wow. 50 to 65. Yeah. 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 It was amazing. I started that way too, but I didn't do all that many quilts before I realized, you know, I wanted to go a lot faster even than that. Yeah. It was yeah. one step was... to go from hand quilting to machine quilting, but then from domestic machine to long arm is a huge stride forward for quilters. Yeah. And it was a, you know, it was a big investment. Like my youngest son was two and it just felt like I mean, and I, and I'm, I'm a quality over quantity kind of girl. Like I'm, if I'm going to buy a long arm, it's going to be, I'm going to spend the money on it. Um, so I ended up buying, uh, an 18 inch gamel, but of course it, I just outgrew that one so quickly. Cause I, I actually am tall and I have great vision. And so to, to have that limited space, mm -hmm. it wasn't enough for me. And so I ended up, um, buying a Statler, which I never really did learn the computer, but it was a. 26 inch throat and it was a 14 foot table so I could do some really big quilts and that that worked really well for me 
um, and it really helped with my business because I mean I'd have like 35 quilts hanging in my closet at mm-hmm. all times in the lineup yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. got it so now I'm curious because I heard the life coach voice coming out there for a minute. Mm-hmm. What what pivoted that corner for you? Yeah, so, yeah. So I um, so I started. So I had when we lived in Red Deer, I had this great business, and I had so many women. It was like I was teaching. I was the local quilt shop uh, quilter for hire. I worked every Wednesday. I did classes. It was super fun. Like I just loved it. And um, then we got transferred to the island. And so everything pivoted. And by island, and people, you mean Vancouver Island? Off yeah, the coast I'm of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when we bought the house, they don't have basements here very often because it's rock. Water and, and rock. Uh, water and rock, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a good combination for basements. Right. And I have five kids and, and it's really expensive to live here. So we actually transformed our garage into my studio temporarily until we could build the addition that we now have. But um, it also was my daughter's bedroom. So it wasn't the most hospitable business front. And um, so I still was doing my custom quilting. So people all over Canada mailed me their quilts and I was um, still doing that and involved with helping other designers prepare for their like for quilt market and things like that um but it was it was a real shift for me because I didn't also my son went um so all my kids were in school and I never had that much time to myself and it was just a big transition and I wasn't doing very well with it and in fact usually I bounce back really quickly I'm I'm naturally optimistic but this was a time in my life where I wasn't I wasn't able to bounce back and I gained a bunch of weight and I was really struggling. And um, it turned out that I had a friend who is a fabric designer, but she became a life coach. And uh, so she offered some life coaching. And I thought, I have no idea what that is. I think that sounds silly. Like, what the heck? Um, but I was so desperate that I was like, I need I need to do something different because I can't keep going this way. I'm, I've never gained this much weight without being pregnant. And I, I anyway, so... I took her up on her offer and I did six free coaching sessions and um, it changed everything for me. Everything started to change. I started losing all this weight. I started getting more teaching gigs. I was I was teaching across Canada and the States. I had this new level of confidence and this new um, way of looking at my life without having to change anything in my life. Like I still had this crazy kitchen. I still had this small house. I still had all these things, but my life became so much more than I ever thought it was. And so as I was helping other quilters with their businesses, because that was one of the things that the women were approaching me. So how did you do this? How did you get these, you know, publishing books? And how did you get this teaching at this retreat and doing this and that? And um, so I started offering some coaching and they actually wanted to learn how to lose weight. That's what they really wanted. And I, so I was, I actually was in a transition where I had, you know, coaching clients for a business and then coaching for weight loss. So that's what I did. I just went all in on the weight loss because how we show up in one area is how we show up in others. And so for women who, um, like physically like that weight, like if you didn't understand what was going on, it literally weighed you down that you couldn't, 
you couldn't dream higher. You couldn't do more. You couldn't live that life. And so I went all in on the weight loss and I became a certified life and weight loss coach. And I worked with women one-on-one and my practice filled up very quickly. I had 23 one-on-one clients. And then I went into working with groups of women in a 12-week period. And now I'm so excited. I have a lifetime membership where people pay me once and they're in for life because we are, we are literally changing the way we think about ourselves, about food, about uh, relationships with other people. And so for me to be able to offer a lifetime support just feels like the most like uh, abundant, most amazing thing I can offer women. And I have to tell you, most of my women are between the ages of 50 to 85. I do have some younger, I know. And it's so much fun because you know what was really, really hard. And I have to go back for a minute. I, I remember sitting at my kitchen table. I was 45 years old. I was in perimenopause and I had bursitis in my hip, so I couldn't run. I used to be a runner and I didn't understand why I was gaining all this weight. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, well, just eat less, move more super un- and she was a woman she was very unempathetic she didn't she didn't listen to me at all and i remember sitting at my kitchen table doing the math that i was going to gain 5 pounds a year for the rest of my life and it was petrifying to me i thought i can't be the kind of grandma i want to be if i weigh 30 pounds more like mm-hmm. i can't i can't be that person i can't serve i can't quilt i can't I can't go and have adventures and explore the world if I'm constantly putting weight on. It felt like I was trapped in my body. Mm-hmm. And I remember that same kitchen table taking that, um, having that coach. And she taught me the difference between um, like a thought and, and a fact. And she taught me this way of organizing my thoughts. And it truly was life changing. And I have lost 50 pounds without counting a single, ca- single calorie or tracking any steps, like all the way. In fact, I lost 30 pounds with basically curiosity and I was good. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I weigh this amount. This is amazing. Like, and um, so when I just was in the, in the awe of it, I actually lost 20 pounds more and I didn't even know I could because I weigh like, what do I weigh? Like 15, 20 pounds less than I did when I got married. So I was like, how is that possible? But it's because of how I've been able to really think about my life. How do I create joy in my life? What are the things that are most important? And so food hasn't become that driver anymore. It's not, and it was so subconscious. I didn't even realize how much I sabotaged myself. So the message, the message I'm hearing loud and clear in this is that it has nothing to do with your circumstances, whether your house is big or small, whether you Mm -hmm. have few kids or lots, whether you have time or no, it is all about perspective and all about mindset. Yeah, it's all about, and so that's even like when you talk about quilting, like 90% of quilting is mindset, 10% is technique and everything in life. 90% Mm -hmm. is mindset. And when I say mindset, it kind of sounds fancy, but it's just thinking about your thinking. So Dr. Joe Dispenza, he says that your personal reality is your personality. So if you wake up, yeah, like if you wake up on the same side of the bed, eat the same thing, do the same thing, 
like drive the same way to work, drink from the same cup, do all of that. You've literally become like that. You're just like, that's who you just become. It's like, you're almost like a robot to your own life. So unless you decide on purpose, like I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be this way. I want to change. And if you don't disrupt that, you're, you're not going to change. Right. It becomes a rut and that, that groove gets deeper and deeper, doesn't it? And harder mm -hmm. to shift. Totally. So then um, going back to the perimenopause and the hormones, I think one of the biggest disservices we have to our society is the message that once you enter menopause, if you haven't lost the weight, you're out of luck mm -hmm. or you can't so lose weight. It's such a lie and it's so debilitating to so many women. And I just appreciate you so much. Like, taking putting me on this podcast because I want to just shout out to all the ladies no matter how old you are even my even my client who was 33 who had PCOS she didn't think that she could lose the weight she didn't even know she wanted to get married and have children well guess what she got married and now she's pregnant and awesome. in a very short time and so much of it is really figuring out like what's really going on and being honest with yourself and being able to go in and see what's happening. And um, it takes a lot of courage. But I said, you know what? It's either hard either way. It's hard if you stay the same or if you hard, it's hard to learn new tools. But at least with the tools and support, you know you're going in the direction you want to go. Right. And when you stop and think about it, even a pivot of a few degrees changes where you go like it might seem really really small today but next week and next year and 10 years from now that shift I mean it'll probably gain momentum too but just small shifts will make a huge difference absolutely they talk about micro quitting that's like this new term out there micro like um, what is it micro racism or those kinds of things and I, I was thinking about it yesterday and I was like what about micro wins like just like even um, just drinking a little bit more every day and a just a little bit more water you're referring to, right? Yeah. Not a little bit That's more red I mean, wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just getting clear. Yeah. Just like I just had a little bit more water today. Look at me. Yeah. Yeah. And we are hearing those micro terms a lot, micro goals, micro commitments. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the same truth is under all of them. Even tiny changes over time accumulate into yeah. something big. Totally. So I'm curious, what would you say then to someone like me? I, I like I fall right within your your uh, typical client range. You know, I'm mid fifties. Um, mm -hmm. The children are grown and gone, and we're empty nesters. And you know, food is so many things. It's comfort. It's celebration. It's what we do together. You know, all those things. And mm -hmm. I have not made making choices about it a priority in my life. Where should where should I start? All right, that's such a good question. So I, I'm gonna just start with um, connection. So for example, my husband and I, like we have five kids and um, you know, he works a lot. I, you know, I'm, I'm between my work and my kids, like, and like my, like my church work that I do and service. Um, but we go on dates and it used to be that on our dates, we would go afterwards to like Dairy Queen or even go to the grocery store and buy our favorite ice cream. It was like such a highlight. It's a treat. And it's a treat. And so yeah. I said to him one day, I said, we're not dogs. We don't need treats. 
And really what we really want is we want connection. We want that sweetness together. We want to feel connected and a part of something. So, I mean, we, I, I think anywhere you live, there's beauty everywhere. So my particular version of beauty on the island is we have an ocean. So we'll go and sit on the beach. So we'll have a nice dinner. We don't overeat. And then we go, we hold hands and we go on a beach. Mm-hmm. And we just look at the sunset. We also live on a mountain and uh, we drive up to a certain lookout point on the mountain and we just sit and we just take it all in. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Um, we even do things where we'll just drive and um, just go sit in a park or just even sit in the car. Like one time we just sat at the parking lot of the school when it was COVID and no one could do anything. <laughs> we just sat in the car in the parking lot and just had time together. And so, so knowing you, you, you hit on it, just knowing what it is that you're actually striving for. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to that food for the connection? As yeah. you say, how about when you go, as so many of us do, we turn to food to cope or to a snack or to a beverage possibly to cope, yeah. right? Can you apply that same mindset there? Just knowing this is why I'm doing it. And maybe instead of eating or drinking this thing, maybe going for a walk will be my coping mechanism, my go-to. Mm-hmm. Is that the same process? Well, the, yeah. So this is what I ask my clients. I say, okay, what is the feeling? So I actually say that snacking is always a social event. Our bodies don't need snacks. We're True. not like little kids that need like when my kids were playing like they did need snacks like they were actually hungry they were exerting a lot of energy and they were growing really fast um but adults we don't need snacks and it just spikes our insulin it like messes up our hormones and that's what weight loss is all about is balancing our hormones and so when i would go to the snack i'd say okay what is it you actually want to feel do i want to feel connected to myself do i want to feel like comforted? Do I want to feel um, like clarity? Like, what is it that I want to feel? And then I would say, okay, where do my feelings come from? They always come from my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because like, if I said to you, like, I'm late, immediately, we have hormones are released, we start our our heart starts beating, we kind of get sweaty, like, because our hearts like, we got to go, we got to get ready, right? Like, we got to move because we're late. And so all of our emotions come from our thoughts. That's, that's where they come. So I can bypass the chocolate bar. I can bypass the, you know, even the healthy one, like almonds and apples. Because if I just want to feel um, like secure or safe, I can have a thought like I am in my home. There are windows on, the, on here. There's police officers that take care of us. I'm actually safe. Mm-hmm. And now I just feel that safety because the truth is chocolate is just chocolate. It doesn't cause any feelings. The only way we have feelings is our thoughts about chocolate. Because we've and attached we also... them. We've attached right. them at some point, right? Totally. We've made totally. that connection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Interesting. So I'm curious because, you know, quilting was your was your business before the life coaching. Yeah. Do you find that there is a, a particular mindset or, or series of thoughts that is really common among quilters? If you're working with the same age group a lot and the same occupation a lot, is there kind of a train of thought that we all seem to go down? Absolutely. A hundred percent. So yeah. And most of my clients are quilters. So I am the weight loss coach for quilters. And, um, 
but what so the, I call them the triple P. So we have perfectionism, people pleasing, and procrastination. And the thing that I have been so surprised about as I've done this research and worked with these women and helped them overcome these things, because in fact, I do have the 12-step perfection recovery program that I wrote. And if you go on my website, darathomason forward slash dot com forward slash quiz, there's a little quiz in here. Well, it will actually tell you where you fall in the perfectionism realm. But the thing that I didn't realize and that has been so helpful is that people pleasing, perfectionism and procrastination are all survival strategies when we were little girls. I it really was. That. Mm-hmm. And so and, and even food. Like, I think one of the reasons I love coconut so much is because when I was a little girl, I would go and take coconut from the baking section in my kitchen, like as a little girl, because I was sad. Peanut butter, same thing. I would grab a big spoon of peanut butter because it was a way for me to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. Because that, like food is actually has a natural, when we eat food, there's a natural release of dopamine. Right. Because in the, you know, back in the day or even now, if we eat, if we are starving, like if you eat a cricket, you will get a little dopamine hit because that is the body's way of saying to survive. Yes. I need this. I feel better after you eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because like there's some things that look disgusting. (laughs) And if we don't get that reinforcement that this is good to eat. (laughs) Right. Right. And so, um, so it gets a little bit confusing because if you turn to peanut butter or coconut or chocolate, you are now getting that natural dopamine, but you're having this super um, impactful, like false dopamine from the peanut butter because it's this concentrated sugar. And so we have to really rewire that. But I, I got this from Janine Roth and she said, every time you eat, it is a form of you taking care of yourself. So I want to emphasize to any of the ladies listening to this um, right now that you did do your best because it was confusing when you were a little girl and your mom yelled at you or your, you know, your caretaker, you thought that they were going to love you. And so like for you to go to that food to feel some comfort, that was just a survival strategy and it's okay. So learning how to navigate, like going back to, like these were just things that I did to survive and now you're an adult and you can make these decisions and that brings you so much power. And I love that when you do that, you are literally changing generation, generational patterns mm-hmm. because your grandchildren are watching, your kids are watching, the neighbors are watching, like people around you are watching and you can change that. You have so much power. Mm-hmm. True. Okay, so on the kind of other side of that coin, I I was asking about, you know, mindsets among quilters. Is there also, do you see this kind of theme of good therapy, if you will? We we toss off the Mm -hmm. phrase, quilting is my therapy. And it is. Does that provide also avenues for um, loving ourselves, treating ourselves well, creative outlets? Do you see, what good things do you see coming out of the art of quilting? So absolutely. I think, so actually going back to um, the survival part was one of the problems that we have with quilting, we can use it as a a curse or a blessing. So I see a lot of women try to justify themselves quilting. 
And that's what's so sad because quilting really is therapy, right? It's me me meditative, it's creative, it's, it's um, that re repetition can be really, really um, healing. It can, and that having, you don't have to think about it. It's just like that process. It kind of allows you to be in a different state of your body and more relaxed. The cortisol can be, you know, reduce. Like there's a lot of really wonderful things about quilting. But what I see is, just like with food, you abuse food, and we can abuse quilting. So um, we we buy fabric to buffer, and now we have this negative um, sense when we look at our stash. Now we feel guilty. Whereas the, uh, where I, I I offered women, I'm like, oh my goodness, you have this beautiful stash. You have like all of this abundance. It's amazing. But if you bought the fabric because you were buffering, because you didn't want to feel something. Now you have a lot of guilt, you have resentment, you have frustration. And then I see that even with the process of quilting, are you quilting because you're trying to avoid something? Are you quilting and then you're comparing and despairing yourself? Are you justifying time to yourself because it's for charity and you're not claiming like I'm important enough to just have time to do something I want to do and I don't feel guilty. So this is where that balance comes in of helping them really understand the power of like claiming your, um, your time and like mm -hmm. looking at, I can't talk about like clean and dirty goals, like being really clean about it's okay for me just to want to quilt. I can just enjoy all of it. And there's no, I should have made this. I should have done that. And that that's when that perfectionism and people pleasing and all of those things can like spoil the experience for yourself. So much like we were talking about earlier, we were talking about your small house, for example, that it wasn't mm -hmm. the circumstance, it was your thoughts about it that mattered, that made the difference. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's much the same way because you talk about buying fabric. I mean, that's such a classic example. Yeah. There's joke about it, memes are made about it by the bajillion because we mm -hmm. kind of justify it. We kind of, so obviously yeah. we're feeling defensive and feeling bad about it, but honestly, we don't have to. And when, when your thought about it changes, it might make your shopping habits better, <laughs> but totally. for sure you'll feel better about yourself. And I, I have to say, this is one area that I think I have mastered that to me, my fabric stash is not all that huge, although I love fabric and I love creating, but I do it very purposefully. I, I, I'm not a, um, shopaholic by any means, but when I go, I go on purpose and I go for the joy of it. And that's mm -hmm. the difference. My feeling then about the shopping expedition to begin with, and then about my fabric on my shelf down the road mm -hmm. is so much different than if I went feeling under pressure or under guilt or like it was an escape. And so the thoughts about it are the difference. I'm still buying fabric, yeah, but totally. my thoughts about it are different than they used to be. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's all the work we do. And I have this um, tool, it's called the model. And so we separate the circumstance to our thought. So the circumstance is just fabric. And then the thought is you know, whatever that is. And then our thoughts create our feelings. And then the feelings generate our actions. And so whatever we spend our time doing, that's what gives us our results. Mm -hmm. So 95% of our thoughts are subconscious. So the thing that's fun about working the model is seeing like, what are all these subconscious thoughts because that are, that are impacting us? Because at the end of the day, a lot of women will say, Oh my goodness, like, I don't even know what I got done today. My day is not my own. I, you know, life is so busy, crazy, all of that. But 
they aren't understanding. Like when you have that thought, life is crazy and busy, then the feeling is overwhelmed. So then you, you actions are more like you scroll, you do a lot, bunch of little things, you know, and then you feel like, and then of course the result is you don't get anything done because you don't stick to one thing or you know, whatever that <laughs> is. So I am able to show them why at the end of the day, they feel so overwhelmed because I'm able to break it all down and they can see what they're doing. And then they feel empowered to say, well, you know what, if I created this, I can uncreate this. We can now, we don't have to be afraid of going into our thoughts. Like we can create, like we can see why we're getting the results we have, and then we can take control of it and we can create the kind of life we want to have on purpose because now we have the tool to go into our brain to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm seeing that pivoting happening because we're starting with the same thought using our fabric buying mm -hmm. as you know, the example, because it's a nice clear one, same circumstance right at the beginning, I'm buying yep. fabric. But we start pivoting already at the thought we're either heading in one direction, this is a positive mm -hmm. experience, I'm looking forward to it, I'm getting you know, I've got a project in mind, and it's a happy thing, or the thought is shifting to I'm justifying it, I really don't have the money for it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or, you know, or it could be worse than that. So already we're, we're pivoting. And depending on what thought path we go down, that's going to really influence where we end up. Yeah, 100%. We don't have to be afraid of our life anymore. Like we really don't. Like we can be open to like, because the thing is like we create our results, right? Like mm -hmm. I said, our personal reality is our personality. And so when we have the tools to work through them, then it's like we can create whatever we want. Yes. That's powerful stuff. Okay. We have had a nice long conversation. And I have loved this. And boy, I'm sure there's a lot more thoughts <laughs> that we could track down. But I wonder if you want to quickly tell our listeners where is the best place for them to find you if they want to learn more information. And I don't know if you're still teaching quilting, but there's mm -hmm. a lot on your website, certainly about the coaching aspects of, of your yeah. life. Yeah. So I have two different ways of serving people. I do still, uh, because I have my books um, and I can have them uh, posted. You can, you can tag them. So I've got my free motion quilting books here. I've got the walk, jog, run, a free motion quilting workout. This is your Bible of free motion quilting. It's so amazing. Um, and then I have my 31 day challenge. Um, so it's the doodle school book, which um, is actually on my YouTube. So you can go there just Dara Thomason and it was October, 2019. So every day I showed up and, um, C and T publishing saw it and they were like, we need to, you need to write the book. So that's that. And then I have this book. That's a travel companion with the doodle, uh, book doodle school. So that's the notebook. And then I also have my 12 step perfection recovery program, but I do, I still will teach, uh, with guilds. I love teaching free motion quilting. I have my beginning class, my feathers class, and, uh, I will have, there's a, I will send that to you. You can have it included in the show notes and the guild, they can see my trunk show. You can see all of that I do for that. And then I also have nine master classes that I teach on mindset. So I've got the weight loss. I've got a perfectionism class. Um, it's, I have a procrastination class. So I'm very happy to teach those to guilds as well. And, um, because I just feel like if you don't have, it's, it's, it's very much like a rotary cutter. If the rotary color is cutter is dull, it doesn't make the cutting process 
fun, effective, or helpful, right? And so when you can make your mind sharper, your life will be so much easier. That that's well said. I just I love how you're combining these two things and weaving them together to show just to show how applicable they are in our lives. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I was going to ask you as we close for a little gem that you wanted to leave, but I think that you've just given us one. Did you want to add to that or do you want to just leave it as is? Like that was that was a nugget. Yeah. You know what the nugget I really want to leave with is I think that the first, okay, the first thing I teach all, anyone that comes to me is that our worth has already been decided. We, we can't make ourselves any more worthy than we already are because we're already 100% amazing and wonderful. Like our worth is set. And so one of the biggest lies that we have, and it, you know, marketing, they do their thing, but there are so many lies out there of you have to be a certain weight, you have to have a certain kind of house, you have to drive a certain kind of car, mm-hmm. you have to have a certain number of ribbons or whatever that is to make yourself more worthy or more wonderful. And that's a lie. And so when I when I talk about weight loss, I think, is my life more fun that I weigh less? Am I, is it my life more enjoyable that I'm not carrying 50 extra pounds, 20 extra pounds? Like I can't imagine walking around Costco with, you know, 40 pounds of flour. No. So when I've lost this 50 pounds and kept it off in a way that's really loving and sustainable, then I'm able to do a lot more quilting. I'm in less pain. Like it's not my, not my worth. I'm not, I'm not more valuable. People aren't going to like me more if I'm thin. And if they do, then that's on them. But I want to be this size so that I can have the more, more fun of a life. And even if it's just like shopping is more fun because there's more options, right? Mm -hmm. So that is my biggest nugget that I want to leave with you is that your worth, it's already decided. And if you want to, it's whatever you want to do is more fun and if sound losing weight sounds like it's going to be more fun then then let's just do that or if you want to learn to quilt because that sounds fun do that so much fun it's within right. your reach. whatever sounds that's right whatever is more fun like in wool applique i'm struggling with that one but i have a <laughs> i'm going to do it um, it makes me a little nervous, but I'm like, okay, that sounds fun. And I'm going to surround myself with women. I have a retreat coming up um, and we're going to hang out at Lisa Bonjean's Primitive Gatherings. And we're going to, I'm going to teach them how to lose, like how I have permanent weight loss. And we're going to stitch at night and it's going to be fun. Awesome. Again, combining the two things. So well done. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Dara. It's been a pleasure. It's been so much fun. Thanks so much, my friend, for tuning in to today's episode. I'm sure that you enjoyed it just as much as I did. If Dara's thoughts really resonated with you and you'd like to explore further, I encourage you to look up her own podcast. It's called Loving Yourself Thin, and it is chock full of encouragement and actionable steps that you can take. So I've included a clickable link in the show notes or search for Love Yourself Thin on any podcast app. And also, if you would, 
Take a moment to share this episode with one of your friends. No matter what device you're listening on, there's usually a paper airplane where you can just click and share this episode with any friend. I'm sure that they will appreciate it too. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.